Welcome to the ADV Moto Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Slayball, and on this podcast, we choose a theme and talk with writers about that theme. So the theme for this episode is special moments. Now, when you think of special moments in relation to adventure riding, is it maybe you're on a vista somewhere and it reached that mountaintop experience, or maybe is it having that amazing plate of food somewhere in the world that you just you know can't forget about and need to go back and get it? Um, or does it involve people or not involve people? Is it um, something to do that you chase after that moment or is it something that you just let happen? So in this episode, you get to meet two writers. We have Nikki who goes by Kiwi Present on Instagram and she just finished a 48 state uh, around the United States uh, six month tour uh, in search of what is the American dream. And she was on her Suzuki Savage and um, she's gonna talk about some of her special moments on the trip. And then you get to meet a filmmaker, Sterling, uh, from Motorcycle Travel Channel on YouTube. And you may know Sterling from some of the BDR videos and stuff like that. He's an amazing filmmaker and a great writer. And he brings us along. Uh, and it's kind of cool because you're going to, for the listeners on this podcast, you're going to get an auditory treat um, where you're used to hearing people talking, but you're going to get to hear some wildlife uh, from his trip uh, that he took around the United States. So enjoy. So, Nikki, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, so uh, for those of you who, who don't know who Nikki is, you should know who she is because uh, she's just spent the last, I don't know how many months, uh, on a mission around the United States. And her mission was to uh, figure out what the American dream was and travel all 48 states on the back of her Suzuki Savage. Did, did I sum it up pretty pretty well? You did. That was perfect. Thank you for that intro. It was six months by the end of it. And I didn't set out necessarily to do six months, but that was how long it took before winter really crushed any hope of doing anything longer than that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to, uh, while you're listening to this, want to go check out, um, her social channels, uh, she's at uh, Kiwi Cruzette on Instagram and then lunch cutter productions on YouTube. Um, and you can see some of what we're going to be talking about on the, on the podcast, but, um, uh, so the theme is special moments uh, for this podcast. But before we get into that, talk a little bit about, um, I always ask people, how did you get into riding motorcycles in the first place? Yeah. Um, so I started riding when I was a teenager, probably later though, maybe 16, 17 was when I got my first dirt bike. Um, you know, my brothers and my dad had always been into motorbikes and I was a really wussy child, like really scared all the time. Um, I wanted to be cool and like ride skateboards and the minute I'd fall off, I'd just cry and forget it. So I, I had to sort of like grow up a little bit before I realized that I wasn't going to die falling off something. Um, so I got uh, my first dirt bike when I was 17, got my dad to sort of teach me the basics and I just sort of spend my weekends out on the track just taking it easy. I called myself a scenic rider. I was never a motocross 
rider. I did endurance and cross country and um, had a lot of fun with that. So um, that got me comfortable on two wheels. And then when I went to university, I really needed a bike that uh, could get me around the traffic situation. We have quite bad traffic in our, um, our main city of Auckland, as I think most people do. Um, but uh, also I wanted cheap. So I needed cheap insurance. I wanted cheap registration, uh, you know, barely anything spent on gas. Uh, and of course, parking was phenomenal. I could just park outside my classroom. So um, all that added up to make sense to, to get a street bike. Um, I actually started on a scooter and that wasn't going to get me anywhere fast. So um, once I was happy on the road on two wheels, I got a, a GZ250, I think it was, a little Suzuki Cruiser. And, uh, and that was all I needed until I um, eventually, you know, one thing after another, I got a 650 in the States. But, you know, for the longest time, I thought 250 is it. That's the fastest I could possibly need. Um, but then I'm, you know, I came into contact with some pretty fast drivers that occasionally you need to have that power to boost around. So the 650 is it for me. Yeah. Yeah. The American highway system. I always, I, you hear riders that are riding around the world or, you know, on smaller roads and then they hit the, the U S interstates and they're just like, you know, this is so, so dangerous. And, and yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> so crazy. I mean, need I say anything more than Florida? Holy moly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Florida drivers those have roads, a reputation. Yeah, um, it, it precedes its reputation. It is phenomenal. I don't know how anyone comes out alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only time on my trip where, one, I thought I could die, and two, I thought I would need something bigger than a 650. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know I, I've, I've had a, a 600cc uh, motorcycle, and when you go to pass somebody or, or to merge or whatever, you just, you have it like pinned and it's like, it's thinking about it. It's thinking about it. And you're like, I'm going to get there. You know, I think I can kind of, kind of, yeah. I swear that people speed up when you go to pass them too. They go so slow and you're stuck behind them. And the minute you pull out, they put their foot to the accelerator. It's real asshole behavior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've got some road rage in this country. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about, um, your your trip first just kind of set the stage uh for everyone um i know it had to do i mean covid's kind of the the theme that weaves in throughout all of this experience really for you and and it's kind of interesting to me that um you know doing a trip of this scale in the midst of covid um is is pretty and pretty incredible but yeah set the stage for everybody how how did you end up uh uh, leaving for six months in 48 states. Yeah. Um, so like you say, it, it did come about because of COVID. Um, the company I was working for in San Francisco, uh, well, actually, I should start before then. I immigrated to America um, from New Zealand three years ago um, for for work and absolutely loved my job. It was my pride and joy. <laughs> I had the best mm -hmm. The best life, I thought, you know, San Francisco didn't really appeal to me. The job was so good and so in tune with who I was. It meshed with my identity um, that I thought this is it for me. You know, I'm, I'm staying here. Uh, when COVID hit, the company did a 25% um, reduction. So it laid off uh, about 2,000 employees. Uh, and I was in the um, HR sort of new employee onboarding realm. And with a hiring freeze happening, there was going to be no new employees. So uh, I predictably got um, let go. So that was incredibly 
upsetting, like devastating beyond what I thought it would be. I thought I, I roll with a lot of punches. I didn't think I'd be that yeah. <laughs> upset, but but I was. And um, and so there I was, you know, faced with San Francisco rent prices, which are astronomical for those who don't know. Um, no job. And, um, you know, it was hard to even think about getting another job and especially, you know, in HR at that time. So, mm-hmm. Um, I came up with a plan to move uh, out to Tahoe just to sort of not have to pay insane prices for rent, but also just try and figure out what was next for me. Um, San Francisco started to feel like a pretty scary place. It was like, I just recall walking those streets and everyone was looking at each other like they were going to be infected by each other like this fear of just like today's going to be the day that I catch something from someone on the street so everyone was just like on edge uh and I I thought I'll, I'll head away from this um you know luckily my roommate was happy for me to go um she wanted the house to herself she was also very very scared uh so I uh, moved out to a friend's uh they had an empty place out in Tahoe so very fortunate once I was there had my head together I thought, well, what have I got? I have my, I took my motorcycle out with me. I'd sort of uh, strapped all the things I owned. I, I'd done a trip in a rental car to dump like the furniture and things, but then everything else uh, I had on my bike. And I just thought, well, what you have in front of you is an opportunity, really. You've got time now, which you didn't, you never had time. Uh, and you have money because I got a severance package. So for the mm. first time, I had the two of those together. Um, what I, <laughs> you know, what I never pictured was doing this in a pandemic. That was a terrifying prospect. Yeah. Um, both because I thought, you know, I really had a high chance of catching something if I moved around a lot. But also, what would people think of me? Like this is terrible. They were saying, "Don't travel." Um, you know, so I just I thought more and more about how I could mitigate those factors, and I came up with the idea of, you know, if you stayed out of cities which you don't want to be in anyway (laughs) right now, Uh, and you didn't interact with very many people, you know, just the bare minimum. So we're talking like supermarket runs, gas stations, you know, not really meeting up with friends or people that, you know, sound interesting. Uh, I get a lot of people sort of saying, you know, you should meet up with my friend. He rides motorbikes. You guys would get along. I had to just like politely decline all those sorts of um, invitations. Uh, and so with all that in place, I thought, no, I can do this. And actually I'll probably be safer than I would be um, in, a, in a city. So uh, that was, that was that. And I, I also thought I'm going to be able to get a little bit of control back of my life. Like I felt like I was spinning a bit and I wasn't, I wasn't able to like feel like the future had a lot of hope when I was just sort of sitting around being laid off. I thought this is going to be me achieving a a goal on a dream I've had forever. Uh, And then I just had this feeling when I pop out the other end of this, if if I pop out the other end of this, um, I'm going to be on a completely different path. Mm -hmm. And that there, I didn't know what that would look like, but it would be better than sitting around feeling sad. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. So yeah, it's, it's funny how like sometimes the, the best, I don't know, trips or adventures come out of adversity, you know, something that, that wasn't planned, you know, people always, you know, say, Oh, I'm, I'm planning for this thing or, you know, for this trip or whatever. And, and like planning is important, but you know, sometimes like, like, like you're saying, you're presented with an opportunity and you have to, to make that leap, you know, uh, uh, just kind (laughs) of into the unknown and, and kind of let, you know, the world and universe, whatever, figure it out. And, and, uh, 
you know, and that's, that's, yeah. And that really sounds like that's kind of your story. So, so touching on, I mean, there's so much stuff we could talk about from your trip. Um, if, if any of you, again, go check out her Instagram because you'll, you'll see the varied experiences that, um, she had on a trip, but we're kind of talking about special moments today. And, um, if you had to, to just like choose one off the top of your head, I mean, I know it's hard because, you just like literally for those of you who don't know i think she just got in on a plane back to new zealand like last night or two nights ago so like she's she just finished her trip and so she's still got jet lag and processing the, the whole thing so um so sorry to throw like heavy questions at you but if you could like choose a special moment um in your trip like what's one or two that would stand out to you Ooh, that is a big question. <laughs> um, you know what? I feel quite bad about prefacing <laughs> the answer to this with what I had just replied. So I said that I was really keeping away from people, which I was, I swear. Yeah. But of course, special moments often happen when you, by chance, interact with other people. That's what I found. And it did happen. Um, you know, as I was rolling through towns and, and people were following me on Instagram, I did get, you know, offers um, for for people. They would just be so kind. They'd say, hey, you know, I'm I'm going to talk specifically about this one. Um, jo- it was a message from a guy called John. He said, hey, I'm, uh, I'm not at my, I've got a hunting cabin. I'm not there. I'm actually in Iraq. He was um, serving and he said, I've got a, um, a house that you're more than welcome to go and stay in. And, um, and I thought, oh, wow, it's so nice. How, you know, it'll just be some little shack, you know, out in the woods. I ended up taking him up on the offer because, um, you know, I knew that we, we wouldn't be interacting and that would be quite safe. Um, but I arrived there and it was like the most beautiful home I have ever seen in my whole life. He had, you know, he was an avid hunter. He had animals mounted on the walls that I had never seen in my whole life. Um, you know, <laughs> and he had vintage pinball machines and vending machines and, you know, pool tables. And, and he said, you know, use my ATV. I've got you know, whatever, snowmobile, this and that. And the keys under the, you know, I don't want to tell you where the actual keys yeah, are. Yeah, don't give away the... location. <laughs> not that. Not that anyone could figure it out. But, um, and I just, it was, I was overcome by this generosity, right? Because I could literally be anyone. I could be, you know, his trust in humanity really made me feel like I wanted to go out into the world and have, um, this idea that people are good and we can trust them. And I know that that there is sometimes people say, well, that's how you get taken advantage of. Um, But I just thought it was such a lovely gesture of like trust and kindness. And that we can, we can be on edge more than usual because of COVID and think, you know, actually interacting with people is really dangerous. Um, But there's other ways to show people that sort of kindness and generosity. Um, that is safe and I think in our situation it was so that was a really like I was just overcome by the humanity of that situation um and I think another one uh would be I got to uh go and watch a cornfield be harvested in Iowa so farmer John uh, and his wife Kathy they they said come over we've got corn uh being harvested you can come on the um combine harvester and we'll teach you about how it's done and I think what had led up to that special moment was their son had noticed on Instagram that I took a lot of joy out of learning about the real, 
like the nuts and bolts of people's livelihoods, I would drive past things and I would just hypothesize about how things were done. So I'd often see like a field of something, you know, oil, and now know it's an oil derrick and I'd pull up and I'd say, what's this? It looks like it's going down. And then, you know, I'd, I'd muse about it on Instagram and sometimes I'd research it and find out what the real case was. But often people would text me and they'd say, oh, that's a, you know, they call it a donkey pump oil derrick, you know, and often I'd make false claims about what I thought was growing and people would always correct me, which is really funny. I'd <laughs> say, oh, that's corn. And someone said, no, that's sorghum. <laughs> now I know what sorghum is. Um, anyway, so he knew that I would be really fascinated to see how corn was made or harvested, I should say. Um, so he linked me up with his, um, with Farmer John and Kathy and I got to go out on this machinery and see how it was all processed. Um, now I'm a little reluctant to tell you that story because it does, of course, involve me <laughs> meeting with other people, doesn't it? Um, you know, so that there, it was, it, it was still a conversation that I had to have with them around like what we we're both comfortable with. Um, you know, we kept, kept our distance. I wore a mask. They chose not to, which was fine with me because they were the old, older folk. Um, and I felt like, you know, as long as we were both consenting and, you know, I was going out, uh, and continuing to, you know, camp alone and not interact with anyone. And they were just purely in their bubble that it was a safe enough agreement. But, you know, I do say that with a little bit of apprehension because it's not exactly protocol. But it was a hugely special moment for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That was, you know, one of the things when I was, was thinking about this topic is like what what makes you know moments special like on, on an adventure, right? Is it is it the people? Is it the machine and and because I, I want to talk about your your bike in a second because I I know like personally I've had moments where it's just there's like you wake up in the morning and you have all your belongings like on the bike and you're going in a direction like for me specifically one was in Yosemite right so um, I stayed the night up in the the high Sierras it came in the I believe it's the east entrance and there's a campground called Tulumna Meadows and um, had a great they have a little, you know, like tent cabins, I think they call them. So it's like a, a tent structure over like a wood, you know, thing with like, you know, kind of cot beds in there and a little wood stove. And anyway, so it was just a wonderful evening. And the next morning I woke up and the air was crisp, you know, because it's higher elevation. I was on the bike and just like that next hour to two hours of descending like down into the Yosemite Valley and you know, I don't know. There's just something like when your machines oops, just knocked the, the microphone. <laughs> I'm getting so animated um, talking about this. Um, it's one of my favorite writing memories. But there's just that moment where it's like your machine is is working amazingly, and you're in this place, and just like your head is clear, and um, yeah, you just you just have those special moments. But you know, but then on the converse side of it is like you know, with people, if you went a whole trip without interacting with anyone. That could get like really lonely and and if you only have yourself you know you know, to talk to you know you can end up kind of going a little little crazy i think too <laughs> on the road yes but. it's so true no i mean i had a lot of alone time for sure <laughs> and it, do, it does send you a little bit loopy and i've had full conversations with myself <laughs> and the bike and I would reply you know it was it was a pretty I, I knew that it was crazy and I also sort of laughed about it because I thought it was funny mm -hmm. um but it does actually if you do it for too long <laughs> talking to a person you kind of step off the bike and you're really not with it mm -hmm. yeah so I, I think it was a balance 
Um, it's actually, it's interesting that you, yeah, you brought up, you know, that serenity, right. And being in the zone. Um, I think it's something that I just sort of like, I normalized it and it's, and it was of course so, so special, but after six months, it's just, it became this new normal, um, which I think I'm actually going to really struggle going back into the quote unquote real world. It's something that I worry about. I'm very, very happy alone, very happy. And I just, now I'm in an isolation hotel. I'm actually talking to you from a a quarantine hotel in New Zealand, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And the whole premise is I absolutely must not have any contact with anyone. So I'm very happy here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but I, I, I don't want that to be the normal. I'm a little worried about going back and having those like very, you know, normal human interactions. So mm-hmm. that's on my mind. Um, before we move on, I did just want to uh, make a couple more comments on these, this idea of special moments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I, I wrote just a couple of notes when, when you brought it up, it sort of made me think what makes a moment special. Um, so what I, I wrote is, uh, you know, the, how it comes about, I think is really what can make it special. So rarity. So the infrequency of something happens, um, so, you know, having you know, a person offer me their home, I would consider that to be a very rare occurrence. Mm. Um, the randomness, the unexpected factor, so something um, that, you know, reminds you that life is is always changing, that you're sort of like on this boat and everything underneath you is like moving and swirling. I think that that makes a really special moment because uh, it's a reminder that, you've got curveballs coming left and right and never to be too worried about a situation, a bad situation lasting because there's good things always around the corner um, in in my experience. So for me, an example of this would be like, you know, just this total randomness of, I I would frequently run into people at gas stations who were on similar journeys to me. We just happened to sort of roll up to the same gas pump at the same time and we'd have these incredible conversations about, you know, where they'd just been or what campgrounds they recommended, you know. Um, and occasionally we'd end up sort of camping together. And the conversations that came from that were just so profound, you know, to think like I'm doing this, what I would consider to be a pretty crazy thing. And lo and behold, there's someone doing the exact same thing. And tell me the odds of us rolling up to the same gas pump at the same time. Like, I don't even know. Um so that would bring like a huge thrill to the moment. And I would often think like, this is so special just because of how many stars had to align for us to both be here right now together. Um, And the other thing I've written down is this um, scarcity. So when you're away from something for so long and you come back and you find it again, I think that there makes something so, so special. So for me, I had been eating just terribly like truly my mother would be so disappointed i'd just eat ramen (laughs) pasta meals for one you know Mm -hmm. just freeze-dried horrible food and then you know my my friend's parents cooked me a home-cooked meal in wisconsin i just remember like it brought me to tears having home-cooked food (laughs) Mm -hmm. it was so special you know that's something you take for granted uh you know on day-to-day life um so that was yeah, that's definitely, sorry, I'm just talking, 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 but that there was just a couple of my notes. Yeah. Um, and, and lastly, just the opportunity to learn something new about yourself and be challenged. I think that's really special because how often do we get presented with an alternative version of how things could be mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, have an open enough mind and heart to think and consider, oh, maybe I didn't have it all figured out and there is a lot more to learn. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think that's the one of the things that really, um, you know, like a friend, a friend of mine uh, shared your uh, your Instagram account with me and I was like, okay, cool. You know, it's another person on a journey because there's, you know, loads of people and journeys and they're all interesting. But the thing that that your that stuck out to me with your journey was that you would stop and actually like almost interview people, almost documentary style, you know, and as a filmmaker myself, I found that very compelling because that's not the easiest thing to do to like talk to complete strangers, you know, and then to find, you know, but the reality is like a lot of people will open up, you know, because they're like, wow, somebody cares about me and wants to hear what I have to say, you know, and then, you know, and sometimes they'll share like incredibly personal things. Like I remember one couple, I forget where I want to say Kentucky or somebody that somewhere. And um, I think the guy was like a truck driver and he had his girlfriend, I think with him, And, um, and they just talked a little about like how they met, you know, and he was like, I forget how way older than she was or whatever, but you could see the oh, chemistry yes. between them. And it was, it was Ohio. It was Ohio. Okay. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I told chill a coffee. Yeah. And it was just, it's super compelling. And I don't know. I hope, um, are you going to put like a compilation of those out somewhere on, on YouTube? Because that, Absolutely. that to me, I mean, you know, part of your mission was to like, you would ask people, you know, what, what the American dream is, you know? And, um, you know, I, and I think when, you know, bringing it back to the special moments idea is like, I think the part of the American dream is searching for the, I mean, everyone has a different interpretation of what the American dream is and, and if it exists anymore or to what degree. Um, but I think, I, I think those moments were pretty special where you got a window into somebody's world and they would, you know, just kind of become vulnerable and, and get their take on stuff. But yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, thank you for reminding me of that. Cause that's actually funny. I, I forget that there was so many elements to this trip and I only just finished it. You have to excuse me. The last couple of days I was just gunning it for a flight that I was almost certain I was going to miss. So towards the end, I was, I didn't have the liberty of really stopping and like getting to, to chat with people. It was mostly at gas stations and eateries. Um, but that was such a special part of the bulk of my trip. Um, I had, as an immigrant, I had become sort of like obsessed with this idea that like, I didn't really know America. I moved to this country and I all I had was this like little window into California, which we all know is not representative of the American experience. It's one of them. <laughs> but, um, you know, even when I was at this job I loved, I would say to people like, oh, I just want to, I said, I just want to go and work. Uh, I would do like really stereotypical things. I'd be like, I want to sell cigars in Miami. I want to work at a waffle house in Texas. Like I want to harvest corn in Nebraska. Like, and that's crazy things to say to a person who's got a career, but like, I just, I was so curious to know what it was like to live in another person's shoes. Um, And I think America is just like, it's so massive. Now I know that, um, how can we just say, oh, well, you know, Americans are like this, Americans are like that. I knew, I knew that they weren't 
it's impossible to pigeonhole them, but I wanted to find out. So doing that, um, that question, you know, what is the American dream? I would always pop that on the end of a question of, you know, what is it like to live here? Like describe what makes your state unique. Like what's your favorite thing about this state? And people have immense pride about where they live. And I think like starting with that question where they get to just talk about something they love uh, or something they're proud of, um, and then leading them into a more personal question about the American dream that helped to sort of like progress and they put their their walls down um but that being said i mean plenty of people declined <laughs> you yeah. just don't see that because i don't include it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well did, did you find most people receptive to like a solo writer or even a solo do, maybe being a solo female writer do you think it was it it broke down more barriers or Definitely. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's extremely (laughs) non-threatening and people are curious, but I think maybe with like, with maybe a solo man, but especially a group of writers, you know, if someone wants to ask a question about the bike or where you're going or what your mission is, I think it can be very intimidating going out to a group and they don't even have to be on bikes. We're not just going up to random groups of people asking them what they're doing. Um, So I think I was extremely approachable Um, and, and being a solo female, I mean, that's pros and cons with that. I left, when I left Tahoe, I thought to myself, how is this going to pan out? Because it could go a couple of ways. You know, there's a safety aspect, but there's also this idea of, you know, like, am I, I don't know, am I, am I putting my, am I putting myself in danger? Well, that depends on my decisions I make along the way. Um, You know, but I don't know. I think at the end of it, what happened was people would come up to me almost constantly and I would have to decide on any given day, like, how are you feeling? Like, I have to check in. I'd say, are you going to be giving off the best version of yourself if people come up to you? Because there'd be days where I'd be in horrible moods. I would be mm-hmm. really, <laughs> I can't explain it. We all wake up in bad sides of the bed, but there'd be some days, especially if I hadn't eaten, where I knew that I didn't want to talk to anyone. And mm. people... Every every time I go to a gas station, there'd be someone who wanted to talk. And and I just, I learned a lot about myself around, like, if you're not going to be willing to talk to people, you have to pick a location. Like, sure, gas up, but if you're going to eat, go behind the gas station. Because you're going to, you know, and then it would be funny. I'd have, I'd eat and I'd be all of a sudden, like, I'm ready to chat now. So, you know. If people come up to me, that's when I spring, you know, hey, I'm doing a, um, a, a YouTube series. I would love to talk to you about where you live. Um, would you be willing to talk with me? And so often, man, they are, like you say, you give people an opportunity and you show them an interest and a curiosity and they, it's almost like they've been waiting for the day. Yeah, You'll see some of my interviews that it looks like they've just been dying to chat to someone. Yeah. Um I don't know if you remember that guy in New York where he had just come back from China. Do you remember him? I might have missed. Oh. I might have missed that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've got them all as highlight reels. So if anyone's interested, you can go on the Instagram and click on, you know, the. Oh, okay. City. Okay. Yeah. But oh my god, he was just. It was like he was like a can. Like I just opened a can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to show me every possession he owned. He showed me his calligraphy. He t- told me his dating history. He wanted to, you know, just share it all. So people like that are just like born to be on camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder if it's 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 even more of a commentary on like the growing isolation. I mean, you know, I I think social media and you know the the virtual relationships. I think. 
you know, as much as people said, oh, you know, you're connecting, it's like, I think there's more than ever that desire for, for personal connection and talk, talking to somebody face to face. And, you know, I think, you know, COVID has amplified that even to the next level. So, you know, so, you know, maybe it was, you know, people that haven't talked to, you know, somebody or had a conversation in a month or two. And, and, um, you know, I wonder if people were even more primed or hungry, you know, to have a, a conversation, you know, with, with the Kiwi on a yellow motorcycle. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah, and it, that's very true. They might not have had a conversation in a long time. Very true. Yeah, I'd say that that there probably did add to it. And of course, like you say, the Kiwi accent, that just sends people off. They go, what? Where are you from? You know, and when people ask me where I'm from, I'm like, well, do you want to know where I came from today, where I left on this bike trip, or where my accent is from? Because all of those are different. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But that's confusing to people. They say, well, what? They always go, well, what are you doing in tiny town, you know, random state? They go, they're so confused. And it's, you know, I'm not going into cities. I'm here to see this, you know, this beautiful countryside, whatever it is that, you know, you cho- you chose to live here too, or maybe you were born here, but, you know, mm-hmm. tell me what it is that you love about being here. And then, mm-hmm. you know, that's what I came here for actually was to find out why, why, why do people live here? You tell me mm-hmm. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And the cool thing too, is I like, I wish more, you know, Americans would, would travel more in our own country. You know, I had an opportunity through past work or as a touring musician, I was able to, to see a lot of the United States, which I, I really looked at as a gift because, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, when they watch the news, you know, even here, we don't realize how diverse the United States is, you know, and um, I don't know, I, that, that was yeah, so it's it's cool that you had that experience, but yeah. So let let's. I want to talk about your bike for a second. You, it's a it's a yellow Suzuki Savage. Is that correct? Correct. Yes, my little baby, a '96 single cylinder. Call her Sunshine. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, no, she's an absolutely beautiful machine, and she came into my life when I first moved to this uh, to the states. So I had moved from Canada where I couldn't have a motorcycle. It was just too cold. I was in Montreal. So Mm -hmm. I had been just doing the public transport thing. And I arrived in San Francisco and I thought, finally, I can get a set of wheels again. So I went on Craigslist and and I love cruises. And I love Japanese cruises too. It's what I've always had. So I went to that section of Craigslist, pulled it up, and I saw her. And, uh, you know, it was like a... Uh, uh, it had more than one owner, but one main owner, Lady Rider. She'd been touring all over the country with her, not as far as I'd been, but the bike was set up to do a trip like this. It had a Corbin seat, had the cigarette lighter charger. You know, it had uh, hard case saddlebags, Viking bags, um, and a windscreen. It had all the setup. And when I first bought it, I had no idea that I'd be going out on the road. I bought it to commute from my house to my office. And I did that, you know, for two years. Uh, and and then I, when I looked at it, I realized, hey, you actually could do this big trip. There's literally no reason why. Um, so, you know, I actually didn't have to do a lot of adjustments to it. I more just had to get over the um, 
the idea that it wasn't suitable because it's not true. Sure, I yeah. can't go off road, but you know, well, I do go off road. Yeah, I was gonna say you did. If you watch her, if you look on her YouTube channel, <laughs> most of her camping was was off road. I would say, yeah, and that's you know that's the thing that I I think a lot of people. Um, I think the perception is changing on what an adventure motorcycle is, you know? Um, Cause I, I think, you know, there've been through television or, you know, articles or the sales pitch, right. Is that you need this, you know, ginormous, you know, multi thousand CC, you know, you know, v- tank of a vehicle to, to have an adventure. And, you know, I, I think, it's you know what it, the the right bike is is for you is the one that's right for you you know and um yeah i, I you just like if again watching your your youtube videos like you can tell like the that bike is the perfect fit for for your adventure for your style like what you wanted to get out of the trip and you know and and to get around and to camp and and everything it's like it's like the perfect bike you know Oh, thank you. I'm going to let her know. <laughs> I yeah. compliment her regularly because that's really what keeps her going is endless compliments. Um, but, yes, like this is a huge barrier to entry for people. They say, well, I don't have a $10,000 bike. I can't do it, which is mm-hmm. rubbish. You know, sure, she was pretty old. And, yes, we did have to get some work done along the way. <laughs> she got she got a top-end rebuild in South Dakota. Uh-huh. Shout out to Rice's Rapid Motorsport. They really hooked me up um, because mechanics during COVID uh, completely booked out. Like, good luck getting parts or a mechanic on the road. That was a big, big problem. Um, but they hooked me up um, with, like, a, it ended up taking 10 days. Oh, my gosh, just to wow. get all the bits and pieces and whatever. But the point is, is that um, aside from that, you know, it really, really was the perfect bike for me. It wasn't heavy. I could lift it up. We fell off. I picked it up, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and I knew it. I knew exactly how to ride it. I knew the things that had been done and what needed to be done. I was familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I just, I'm trying to think of like any improvements I would make. I mean, there's really nothing apart from putting a sidecar on and then I get a dog. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this for my next trip in the future when I have a dog. Well, that that, and I think you had mentioned hand warmers in one of your stories oh, somewhere along the way. Oh, I've I've had mate, that experience mate. where you're yeah you you feel like you you can't feel your hands anymore and you're just yeah it's brutal horrible horrible feeling wow I wouldn't yes never again will I take a bike with no hand warmers thank you for reminding me of how horrible that was. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah yeah yeah, well, that's awesome. well, yeah yeah so do you have um what do, what do you feel about like creating special moments do you think that's something that people should chase after or they should just let happen oh that's um that's a good question so i would say a bit of both right i think you have to be open for the moment to happen so i think like in my case it's saying you're gonna just see what happens load up your bike and and just day one i swear is the hardest day because it's like you're so overwhelming thinking i have no idea what's around the corner it might be bad it might be good um i have a plan in place if stuff happens but like literally anything can happen so having an open heart and an open mind to the potential of any situation then then you're basically just setting the wheels in motion for any wonderful moment to happen so i think planning in the sense of like just having the 
I mean, honestly, having the balls, but like really, truly just like jumping off the cliff and just knowing that you'll be okay. No matter what happens, you'll be okay. Um, and then, and then letting them happen, letting, just letting them roll around and just saying, what's that? What is it that people say? They say, if it's, it's not the, it'll all be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. <laughs> you know, so that, yeah. And then, yeah, as for like, just the, those moments are spiritual, aren't they? Those like yeah. really, like what you were describing in Yosemite, like that feeling of just being like, you couldn't make this in a lab. I couldn't have even told you that this feeling was possible. It yeah. just exists. Yeah. And I caught it in this fleeting moment. I got to experience it. Yeah. 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 That's so, awesome. Well, what I think it's say? a good place to to wrap oh, it up. Sorry. I, I, no, <laughs> I can't top that. There's nothing else that I I can say to I, I think you're you're a thousand percent correct. Like just approaching situations with the open heart and open mind to to the possibilities is how you put it. And I, I think that's I, I think that's all I mean I mean, that doesn't just apply to adventures, but I think life in general, you know, kind of the every, everyday life, because it's easy to get bogged down and, and uh, you know, and, and not remember that even when you're not, you know, on, a, on an adventure. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's really amazing. Yeah. 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 Well, well, thank you, Nikki. Uh, where can, I assume, uh, as we mentioned, people can find you on Instagram at Kiwi Cruzette. And um, I didn't realize that you had put those stories and highlights uh, for the interviews. Now I'm going to watch those. Uh, I totally missed that. Uh, there's so many Instagram like adds a new feature every week, and I can't keep up anymore with with their all their features. For oh my God. Um, anyway, I know, yeah. I know. And plenty of people started following from like advrider.com, which is a little older audience. And mm-hmm. I know people start like they got an Instagram especially to follow because I was just unable to like keep everyone updated across all the different um platforms so um there's plenty of people on there who are like i don't even know what a story is like i I tell them watch my story like i don't know what that is um but yeah so instagram is where i do all my updates you can sort of scroll through the history but there's also highlight reels Mm -hmm. and um i'm going to be doing a second trip so now i'm in new zealand um my next mission is to travel top to bottom We've got three islands, believe it or not. People often think we have two. I'm going to travel around all of them. Um, I've got a Honda Rebel. <laughs> so nice. I know. So I'm going to, there will be more content, I guess, is the point. Um, and then my lunch kind of production. So I'm, you mentioned, am I going to be editing all of this, sort of compiling all these beautiful interviews mm-hmm. and um, moments? Yes. I'm going to create an episode per state. So I've only done one episode. It's Nevada. It's called mm-hmm. um I call it Kiwi Cruzette and the Search for the American Dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's sort of inspired by those Tintin comics. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'll be releasing those right now in my hotel quarantine. I'm editing. So I'm going to be editing each state as I, I'm going to try and do one episode a day. We'll see. Um, but those will be getting updated over the next month. They'll be released on YouTube. Awesome. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm stoked to have you on the podcast and, and just so fresh off of your adventure with that, you know, in, in your mind and everything. It's just, yeah, it's just contagious, you know, when, when someone's like in the midst of adventure or, or uh, yeah, just, just completed one. It's yeah, it's contagious. So yeah. Thanks again. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. 
So definitely go check out Nikki's Instagram. It's at Kiwi Cruzette. And you can see all the, her on her stories in there in the highlights. You can see um, each state that she's been to. She has them listed by state. And um, if you go through there, you can see a lot of the interviews that she did with people on the run. And then check out her YouTube channel. So it's Lunch Cutter Productions. And uh, she's updating those videos as she waits out quarantine in New Zealand. Um, she's got like 14 days, I think, in there. Uh, Go out and check out her channel and you can see all the new videos coming up and uh, some of her older trips. She did a trip around Mongolia with her brother, which is pretty cool as well. So next up is filmmaker Sterling Noreen. Now I've known Sterling uh, probably, what, six, seven years? I think I met him at a Tour Tech uh, rally way back when. And uh, Sterling is an amazing filmmaker and he's an avid writer. And so recently he took a 6,000 mile uh, journey around the United States uh, during the COVID, you know, see he had time off and he's always wanted to do a journey like this. And he's going to take you on a journey, uh, on an auditory journey. He sent in a video and um, you're not going to just hear him speak, but also hear some of the special moments that he had on his trip. Hey, Sterling Noreen here. And I've been asked to tell you guys about some of my special moments riding motorcycles. This summer I took off on an epic 6,000 mile ride across the back country of the United States. It was a solo ride and I had a lot of special moments on this trip and the ones that I would like to talk about in particular are the ones that involve animals and wildlife because that is such a big part of a trip like this for me is to get out in the back country and connect with the beautiful natural world, these places that we ride to on our adventure bikes. And so this trip started off pretty awesome down in the desert in Arizona where I live. The first night that I camped out, I was laying in my tent. It was the middle of the night. It was about two o'clock in the morning and there was a full moon and I saw an owl come and land in the tree right up above my tent. And he started making his owl noises. So I got out my little handy recorder and this is what I recorded. <laughs> So that was the first night of the trip. The second night of the trip, I was a little further north in Arizona, up by Big Lake, 7,000 feet of elevation. And as I was getting ready to go to bed, I noticed right behind my tent, a family of skunks. And what was so cool was that the parent skunks, the mom and the dad, kept pulling the baby skunks out of a hole in the ground until there were six of them. And they were just scurrying around the campsite like a big fluffy black and white pillow. The third night of my trip I was in Utah but still in Monument Valley and a pack of horses decided to come over and visit my campsite and it was just one of those really beautiful moments right as the sun is going down and the desert peaks are illuminated in the distance and here's these horses walking around my campsite. I had a lot of other interesting, unusual, beautiful encounters with animals along the way. A lot of the times as I was riding my motorcycle, they would cross my path, like for example, deer. I saw several deer jump across the road in front of me and some of them scurrying up the mountainside. When I was in Wyoming, I saw a pronghorn antelope running off in the distance. And let me tell you, my bike is fast, but those things are faster. One of the best encounters that I had was in a really remote section of central Wyoming. 
I was riding through the Red Desert and the Great Basin kind of near the Continental Divide and I hadn't seen anybody on the roads for the entire afternoon. It was just me and my motorcycle out in the back country. And then I came over a hill and there was a pack of wild horses running across the road right in front of me. And it was just absolutely beautiful to see them cross the road and kick up the dust with their hoofs. And then I rode right through their cloud of dust. And it was just one of the most memorable moments on that trip. I'm going to have to say though that the most special moment for me on this trip was near the end when I was in Colorado and I was riding on the western slope of the Rocky Mountains kind of near Black Gunnison and I was camping out that evening in the Peach Valley OHV area and again I was all by myself. I had my campsite set up. I cooked a good dinner and then I just went for a walk as the sun was going down because I just wanted to take in the beauty of the landscape that was around me. And as I was doing that, the urge to just give a primal howl came out and I howled like a coyote. I gave my best coyote howl. The most amazing thing happened. A couple seconds later, a pack of coyotes joined in and I could tell that they were just about 50 yards over the hill from where I was. You can hear what they sound like. It sounds like a whole bunch of them, maybe a bunch of baby coyotes as well, but to be out there in that kind of place and give my own coyote howl and then have the universe respond with something like that was truly a memorable, if not magic, moment and encounter with nature for me. <laughs> There you have it. There's uh, some of the special moments for me on my motorcycle adventure, especially around wildlife and nature. And I'm sure you have stories like that of your own if you've been out doing these kind of rides. And, and if not, maybe you should get out in the backcountry and spend a little bit of time by yourself riding your motorcycle and camping out in these beautiful public lands that we have available because nature is out there and it's waiting. All right, you guys, that's it for me. Thanks for watching this. Wherever you are, stay safe and ride well. We'll see you down the road. Pretty cool, right? Getting to hear those coyotes calling back to them and uh, seeing the family of skunks. And by seeing the family of skunks, so if you're listening to this on the audio version, uh, there is a video version of this podcast. So if you go on YouTube and look up ADV Moto, um, you'll find our YouTube channel, and on there you'll see the video version of this podcast. And I highly recommend doing that because, as I said, Sterling is a filmmaker, and so he's included, which you couldn't hear, but epic shots with the drone of him riding through the um, American, just the, the American West, and that family of skunks and some deer uh, jumping across the road right in front of him. Uh, pretty wild, but um, and he's also currently posting episodes, full longer episodes on his YouTube channel, which is the Motorcycle Travel Channel. And on his channel, you'll see, like I said, episodes, of, he calls it Riding Solo. Um, I think he's up to episode 21 now on there. It's pretty cool. And he has a lot of really cool uh, backcountry discovery route stuff, BDR uh, content on there as well. So it's definitely worth your time. Uh, also, while you're on YouTube, check out the a our ADB Moto channel, our sister show, 
which is ADV Moto Live. So that is the senior editor of the magazine, Carl, uh, has a show as well. It's worth checking out. And then speaking of the magazine, it's available in print or digital. And the print is anywhere magazines are sold in digital. It's at adventuremotorcycle.com. So if you go there, you can uh, um, sign up, subscribe, uh, get access to back issues and all that, that fun stuff. So... Yeah, so thanks again for taking the time. I know you uh, have lots of things you can listen to or watch or do. Um, and yeah, we're stoked that you uh, stopped by to listen to the podcast. Um, if you want to reach out, you can always email us at podcast at adventuremotorcycle.com. And yeah, that wraps it up for 2020. I am definitely looking forward to 2021. And we have excited, some exciting stuff in store. Uh, Kira, Justin, and myself have been uh, planning and scheming. Um, and you guys are in for a treat in the new year. So thanks again and have a happy new year and see you down the road. Sweet. I feel alive.